nobody is able to be Jigsaw and has right. this much of a foresight of how everything's going to work out. He made it, Kaiser Soche look like an <laughs> idiot. Like... <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss Christopher Nolan's first film, which was 1998's Following. Lenny! If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 78 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, and on today's episode, we are talking about the first Christopher Nolan film, a very low-budget uh, presentation from 1998, which is called Following. The regular two gentlemen are with me again, and that is Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan. Hey, Alex. Great to be here again. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad. You sound like you just got invited to a uh, talk show for the first time, so that was good. Nope. Just another great episode of Film Tank. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. Thanks, yep. Tucson. Nick Cheney also here with us, as, as I mentioned as well, who's, who's, who's now chugging a beer. Hello. So there, oh, yeah, I'm hey. here. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> <I'm here. laughs> Let's talk about Batman. <laughs> we already did a very lengthy episode talking about all three Batman movies. Oh, he remembers. Uh, I remember. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was a rough couple weeks, because we did that, and then the next week we did a three-hour episode on <laughs> Batman vs. Superman. Jesus oh, Christ. What are you guys doing? To me? I was going to say you've you've buried that one deep okay. in the memory bank. We, so. You know, that's I think this podcast is, uh, shall we say, very balanced. I mean, we had that period, but then recently we've been doing Rashomon Persona. I mean, it's like yeah. uh, you Tip, we did language. the uh, we did the episode on the uh, the musical. Um, Stars, uh, yeah. Born. Stars, Stars Born. Stars Born. Yeah. So yeah, it's come around a little bit. Yeah. Ghostbusters. We're finally. Bec- <laughs> Are you, we're, we're bar- are you just saying that because it is the 2016 Ghostbusters? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we have a very diverse range of films from the fringe uh, genre films of the superhero uh, saga. Right well, now. it does help that all the blockbusters this year have been massive failures, so we haven't really had to do an episode on anything like that. Oh yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. We've done some, but for the most part, there hasn't been anything like Jurassic World, where if we hadn't done an episode on it, we would have been missing the boat last year. Yeah. So a boat that so many people ride on. <laughs> that was an allusion to our a uh, ever growing fan base. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. Well whatever. Yeah. That's we a... love you, listener. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Like the singular word Tucson. You do not speak for all of us. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like we don't like you out there, whoever you are. Nick's mom. So I love you. <laughs> Uh, we are talking uh, solely, no weekend review or anything else today, uh, about Christopher Nolan's first film, uh, 1998's Following, which, uh, if you compare it to his works now, clearly a lot more raw and a lot earlier in his career. And, um, you know, 
definitely uh, showing the future of what Christopher Nolan would be, though, I think, uh, in this film. Uh, if you do not know anything about following, I would suggest giving it a, a shot on Netflix as it's been on there for quite some time. And also, too, it is a very short film. It is only 69 minutes long. Nice. So <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily take up a lot of time. It's not like a three-hour opus like something like Godfather. Is or something like Martin Scorsese's next project, The oh, Silence? Silence, which will be three hours and 15 minutes. Holy shit. I mean, the picture hasn't been locked down yet, so maybe not. But right now, the final cut is uh, three hour and fifteen. That's been pretty par for the course for Marty lately. How long has he been working well, on that he, for now? Uh, the, uh, what? How long has he been working on that? Like, like two like, to three years. Two to three years? I thought it's been like a decade spanning like well, awesome I mean, project. But, yeah, yeah. You, you can say that a minute, but I'm just, as far as like shooting it, he, yeah. he started yeah. like, started actually working on it after uh, Wolf of Wall Street, which was December of 2013. So. I mean, I could say that I've been working on a novel that I've never actually started. But <laughs> I'm working on my novel. Right. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, honestly, like every film that comes out, I assume is like eight to ten years in the making, probably mm-hmm. in terms of having a thought about it to actually like Sausage Party it. that took ten years sure. to make. Sure. Absolutely. It doesn't make it good. It doesn't make anything. Um, But Christopher Nolan made this film uh, in 1998 on a... um, I I don't know exactly what the full-on budget was. The estimate out there is $6,000, which puts it in the neighborhood of something like Coherence. Whatever you could afford on his salary at the time. Or or even like Clerks when, uh, Mm. you know, Kevin Smith selling his comic books just to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. But this is a movie that was uh, primarily (laughs) shot just on weekends uh, when everyone had free time because people aren't... This wasn't their jobs. They just... Showed up uh, to do this, uh, and also to trying to make their friend Chris happy. <laughs> this is recorded on. Uh, was it recorded on a like a home video camera? Is that is that accurate? I read it something looks, about that. I mean, it looks I, okay. I it doesn't look bad. It, the fact that it's uh, shot in four by three, uh, I don't think is simply an aesthetic choice. I think yeah, he was like, it must be some kind of home equipment and yeah, not, yeah, using natural light and stuff like that. Yeah. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I, I, um, and that being said, I, I think that's uh, something, and I'll get into this when I, I give my my opening remarks and more in depth thoughts a little bit later. But I, I think for me, knowing it's his first film and knowing that this is a very low budget film, um, when it comes to technical aspects, usually I'm able to give little things a pass that are like, man, that's not the greatest. But at the same time, this is a movie that was made for less than a you know cheap car costs so uh the film following is about a young writer who follows strangers <laughs> for material and meets a thief who then takes him under his wing your eyes um drift across a crowd of people and they slowly stop and fix on one person and all of a sudden that person isn't part of the crowd anymore they become an individual just like that just became irresistible so you followed women yeah, i followed anybody i just wanted to see where they went, what they did. It was supposed to just be completely random. You would never follow the same person twice. That was the most important rule. That was the one that I broke first. That's when the trouble started. I got burgled yesterday. What's it feel like being uh, broken into? You're developing a taste for it. If 
violating the wire as much. Definitely you. Everybody who's in this film, basically, you probably have never heard of and never will heard of. Christopher with, Nolan's friends. With the exception of oh. Christopher Nolan's uncle, John Nolan, who has made appearances in, in the Batman movies as the character Fredericks, who works for Wayne Enterprises. He's also the bad guy, uh, one of the antagonists from Persons of Interest. That is correct. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I didn't put that out because that's Jonathan Nolan's show, too. So mm-hmm. that's oh, interesting. That, yeah. That all, that all makes sense. Oh, my God. Gosh, this is exciting. I wonder how he got the job. But yes, so he's the only person you'd probably <laughs> recognize. That was pretty on point. Way to go, Nick. The glories of podcasting and being able to do nonverbal cues. He's the only person, if you watch the film, you'd be able to probably pick out. Yeah. So, uh, who wants to go first, Nick? Are you... You, oh. you ready to start us ready for this? So not prepared. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, first of all, I just want to say to our listeners that uh, I believe I am a victim here in this situation oh because wow. we are not doing a weekend review, and I solely believe it's because I watched Solo or the 120 Days of Sodom. You can talk about it next week. No, I'm just. I just want it. so blame Alex and Toussaint because I'm going to chalk this up to a conspiracy that you don't get to hear my thoughts. On Italian fascists making teenagers eat feces. Well, I mean, the only thing I had to even think possibly talk about this week was an American werewolf in London, uh, which I saw for the first time and I actually thought was quite good for a bad 80s horror movie. And all I had to talk about was not watching anything, but rather reading comic books. And I don't think you want to hear about that shit. Nobody does. Yeah, no, exactly. Not. Really quick, though, before we get, oh. into, well, before we get into following, because I know you, you were really excited to talk about it. Give us your overall feelings on not necessarily what you thought about the the film, but about the aura that surrounds Solo and does it live up to that? <laughs> so we are talking. Oh no, I mean I, I don't want right, to like, right, go right. deep into it, but yeah, just no, because I know that this was something on your list to at least give it a shot and view it. Like, was it yes. as holy fuck as yes. everyone builds it up to be? So I will give at least a couple sentence context in case someone's sure. never heard of Solo, but Solo is. Typically touted as like the cinematic endurance test, you know, the the movie to watch to see if you can sit all the way through and not turn it off. Um, and not because it's a documentary, like it's all fake. It's a narrative film in which it's, you know, nothing on screen is actually happening in real life. Like uh, certain other movies where you can like snuff actual snuff films or mm-hmm. something. Um, but it's a movie about... Uh, Italian fascists who make teenagers do despicable things to each other or to uh, that. And it is very visually graphic. Yeah, and whether it be sexual things, uh, scatological things, or uh, violent things. Uh, So having said all that, I will admit that the movie did not live up to the idea that it is like... You were playing for some really despicable shit. I mean, it's one... I, will, I mean, I also admit that <laughs> I've known about Solo for a decade now. Okay. And you probably heard about some... So it's right. not like so, going like, to the theater and being like, oh, this is a movie I've always wanted to watch ever since I was like 16 sure. and discovered the Criterion Collection. So I'm turning 25 uh, a couple months from now. So I feel like just knowing of its existence for about a decade now... Uh, 
and just always being like, oh, I should watch Solo, and, and just thinking over and over what these images would probably look like pretty much did prepare. Now, if you sat someone down who didn't know what Solo was and you just press play, you're going to fuck up dick. their lives forever, and I highly recommend you do that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I will say this. Um, the, the film is broken up into three sections, and the first section is sexual degradation. The f- second section is basically pee and poop. Scatological and other, degradation. Yeah, scatological. And then the third section is violent uh, uh, degradation. And the third section was definitely the only section that during the last ten minutes of the, f- of the movie itself when – Things shit starts hitting the fan, um, so to speak. Uh, that's I will admit that was it was finally right when it was about to, which I think was also kind of the point. Like if, it's like even if you couldn't, even if you could stand it all the way up until this point, everybody has their limits. So I, there there were a few moments uh, in the very last ten minutes where I was finally starting to go, like, oh boy, <laughs> um, and and that was fun. Uh, <laughs> So I just wow. really quickly to say I really enjoyed it and I I recommend it if you've always had an interest in watching it like don't be scared that you can't because if you're the kind of person who at least in their back of their mind have always wanted to watch it but then stayed away I feel like you'll be okay so just putting that little uh, piece of advice out now there. are you um... but if you're the kind of person who hears about what Solo is about and then is like I never want to watch that then no don't watch it like it's are you planning to watch it again oh yeah in a in a, in a every Christmas <laughs> That's what I would expect to hear. No, uh, it is definitely a movie I could and will watch again. Okay. I, I I will admit it's not a movie I will always be in the mood to watch again or whatever. But definitely in a couple years or so, I'll like see it on the shelf and I'll be like, oh, you know what? Because I'll say this: in between all the crazy stuff, which there's a lot more non-crazy stuff than there is crazy stuff. Sure. Um, there, there's kind of a be- weirdly beautiful, uh, surreal movie happening. Oh, wow, it's a Lars von Trier film. Kind of. I mean, he he certainly loves the movie, I would assume. So Yeah. Anyway. All right. So now, the film we actually are talking about, the nigga's able to get that shit out of his system. Ha. Uh, following, why don't you start off giving, okay. giving your thoughts on this? So, the following is a movie that I selfishly recommended that we do because I've always wanted to watch it. And I've started this movie, I think, four times prior to us doing this, and I've never finished it. Wow. <laughs> and it's only And it's only minutes. 70 minutes, so yeah. that doesn't say a lot. Now, I'll admit, like, each time was probably I didn't get past the first 10 minutes, so I was either tired or whatever. Like, it's not like I was like, well, fuck this. But finally, I was just not going to not finish a 70-minute movie. So now that I've sat down and watched it, I can definitely see that this is Christopher Nolan's first movie. I mean, this, this, there's so much here that he likes to do, and I think he later refines. Sure. Uh, and yet it's because I'm not a Christopher Nolan super fan, so to speak. Like, I like when I like a Christopher Nolan movie, but I get so fucking bored when I don't. Uh so because of that, I found this movie to be mostly boring and, by the end, slightly silly. Um, mm. I don't mind the... Now, when, yeah. when you say silly, really quickly, just to to put this in there, yeah. do you mean silly because of where the narrative ended up? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, and, and the way it, uh, shall we say, expounded off its... Uh, it's con- a big twist. Convolutions yeah. and all the things that did happen. And we're, we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss sure. it. But yeah. and in general, like I just thought that this had a certain – it certainly tapped into a fun neo-noir atmosphere. But it also felt like it couldn't back up 
that atmosphere with anything substantial. Because for me, you, you watch Neo, or not Neo, you watch Noir, let's say that, for, I would say, I watch Noir for several reasons. A, I love the look of noir films. I right. mean, uh, I'm talking classic black and white noir films from the 40s and 50s. Like, those are some of the most gorgeous movies ever made. They're so meticulously shot and whatnot. And it's uh, it's not just a matter of the film itself being uh, in black and white. Because obviously you, could, well, no, just, you but, could just strip away color, but it's also how the film is lit. Right. It's how it uses yeah. two primary colors and everything in between. Uh, not primary colors like oh. we learned in art school. <laughs> um, <laughs> Talking about the Kevin Costner film? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, the, the other reason I would I watch noirs is because I, I love performances in a noir, like Humphrey Bogart or, you know... Um, By the way, really quickly, yeah. uh, not Kevin Costner, John Travolta. Sorry. Oh, yeah. My yeah, bad. That's right. Moving on. But yeah, like those very hard edge, you know, Barbara Stanwyck, uh, you know, those very hard edge noir roles where people are just given so much dialogue to chew on and throw out there, whatever. So this movie does not offer me either of those. I don't think this movie looks that good. And not because it's an indie movie that doesn't have a big budget, but because it. If by definition, it just looks drab and boring. It doesn't end up looking like noir. It just looks like it has no money. And so for that reason alone, I just like, I, I'm not, I'm, I would say connecting with its neo-noir vibe that it's clearly trying to put out. I, I'm not saying every shot is bad or anything like that. Certainly there are some nice shots like the of the uh, the underground bar and stuff like that. But for the most part, it just looked like, um, like a, a road documentary from the yeah, 60s. There were a couple of moments that were just like, to me, I was just like, fuck, that was awesome. Um, the This is more of a, just a kind of a shot, a blocking shot and just correctly using reflective surfaces. But when the camera sees into the mirror in front of the, uh, the girl as she's getting ready and you see her face as she turns around and looks uh, the main character in the eye and his name is Bill? That's not his real name. They just credit him as the young man. Oh, you sure. Whatever. The man. The narrator. Now, now known as Bill. <laughs> yeah. I anyway. am Jack. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that was a, a great shot. And I, I do think that the, the black and white um, is used well in some parts and some parts it's not. So. I feel like it's used <laughs> to cover up the idea that this, or the, the notion that this movie doesn't really have a visual language to speak of. Like it has some singular good shots, I agree. But overall, I feel like the black and white pastiche is there to mask the fact that they didn't have a lot of time or money to shoot it, so it kind of gives it this credibility vibe. Makes sense when you are looking for ways to stretch your budget. Which is totally understandable. Uh, So then the third thing, which is like the plots of noir, which are always very fun to follow, twisty, turny. You feel like you start with one story and then you end up going down different alleys you didn't realize, which certainly this movie does. I mean, it's, the movie calls following. You, you're introduced to the idea that it's about a writer who follows people and has all these rules. But 30 minutes in, that's completely irrelevant. This yeah. is not about that at all. And it's really about you know the thief and his plan and whatnot. And I felt like that was both its biggest success in the sense of uh, emulating a noir-like film and atmosphere, but also its biggest downfall because 
it's a 70 minute movie and like 30 minutes of it don't matter at all which means it only had and I'm not trying to get too math or technical about this but I'm just putting it into perspective as to how little I'm invested into it but then you have like roughly only another 30 minutes to actually set up this plot and by the end of it by the time it was over the more convoluted it got the more it started to indulge in its noir side the less interested I got because I just like I I never bought into these people as characters because I didn't care for the acting too much um, it, it just it's just such a swing for the fences uh, by a director who's capable of I would say hitting that mark but uh, not on this budget and not on well I, you talk about just him just crafting stories and I don't know how much his brother was involved with this if at all um, which obviously you've seen as times went on usually his best scripts are somewhat involved with Jonathan in some way but at the same time you talk about a, a director who is put on I don't want to say twist necessarily endings but is put on two of the best surprise uh, endings in films that I can remember in some time which are Memento and The Prestige and clearly uh, he made massive strides in those two films in in every facet of being a filmmaker in both story structure and also in um, in the way he's able to visually tell a story. For sure, those two twists that you speak of not only are extremely fun to witness and experience because they're pretty, I would say, out, not out of left field as in they have no way to support them, but they're so far-fetched and yet are so thematically coherent with what those two movies are doing that yeah. it just makes perfect sense in hindsight. Whereas this, not that it doesn't make any sense because if anything, the more it makes sense, the more it's kind of like, okay, because you, you see how methodical this movie is, which I can sometimes admire, like in a movie like Coherence or something, where like, oh, that glow stick was on that table for a reason, because later on, when it, you know, like there are some, but here, the I feel like the director, Christopher Nolan, uh, one other last thing I'll say before I pass it on is yeah. that um, this movie does not need to be nonlinear, uh, and I think the decision to make it a nonlinear film is very that, that's also very silly in my opinion because all it does is add a mystery that doesn't need to be a mystery. Like in something like Memento, which is clearly nonlinear, there's actual thematic reasoning as to why that's happening. Um, I I was actually curious about that because. Uh, when the film first began, and I'll get into my thoughts about the actual that aspect of it, but just the fact of this <coughs> particular film being a nonlinear nonlinear story, I was interested to see to to think if how much of an effect that Pulp Fiction would have had on that because that came out only a few years prior. Yeah. Maybe that's something that Christopher Nolan had seen that film and then all of a sudden it inspired him to use that in this particular film. I don't I don't know. Sure. But it seemed like something that like was just a like decision like, oh shit, that's cool and that's hot at this moment. Right. And know? the reason why it doesn't work for me in a movie like this where it works in a movie like Pulp Fiction or even in his own Memento is that when I watched this movie, all I kept thinking about is and maybe this is just my own neuroses, but A, why is this being told this way? Like, there's got to be a reason as to, like, if we were to see this scene in the beginning of the movie, then we wouldn't be able to, you know, our suspension of disbelief would be broken, and therefore we have to jumble it up. But that never happened. This, The plot itself is very cause and effect, and we could have watched this fold out the way we do because we pretty much do watch it in that. I mean, the general plot as to when they meet up 
and um, all the way up until the reveal of the thief's plan, like that plot itself is told in a linear fashion, but it's yeah. jumbled up to no end and no real good effect. I was going to say just it, to cause more confusion. Yeah. Tucson, do you mind if I start with my thoughts, or do you do you want to go? No, go for it. You sure? Yeah, positive. Yep. Just saying that. No, it's good. Okay. Because I wanted to, to mention really quickly, just starting off my thoughts on, on that aspect of, of the film, which uh, I will say that I enjoyed it at certain points. And it's sometimes I thought this feels like a rookie director trying to do a nonlinear story. And Why is he waking up with a glove in his mouth? It seems like, Nick, you have thoughts that you, you see Nolan's talent here a little bit sprinkled throughout, but still this is a... Um, film made by a guy who really had not refined his skills in any way, shape or form yet. Uh, and he was just putting something out there that, and, and there's a couple different ways to look at that too. It, and it's cheaply made on the one hand, and it was made over all these weekends. And I think Tucson a little bit alluded to this earlier, but you know, there's a loss of continuity there when you are recording five hours of something and then coming back and starting again the next weekend. Mm-hmm. And right. you don't get into any sort of rhythm, yeah. even if you shoot a film out of sequence, as this movie is at the end product is out of sequence. But still, it's like, actually pretty impressive um, simply for the fact of how well it f- I, how well I think it flows. It actually it, it flows like like an actual like feature length film for the fact that it's only been able to have been filmed on one day over the course of, like, one day a week over the course of a year. Like, yeah. it's a pretty Herculean feat that this is actually as, as good as it is. Right, but you can either make this or you can make Boyhood. You know, I mean, this... Get <laughs> the fuck this out. This fucking guy. <laughs> I mean... That wasn't filmed over one day over the course of, like, it was... For- it was, it was well. It was my. Anyway, it, it was. was I'm not gonna. <laughs> now I think that boy is about a boy who grows one year. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I would watch that movie though. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, but overall, that aspect, I you know, give a lot of credit to to Nolan for for this film, and I really did enjoy this. Like I, I, I did. I just, I was behind the story. Uh, the ending, I felt like, was very much rushed into let's just get this resolution which works in one vein because yes it does create a little bit of a surprise in the end but it makes it very messy and seems very choppy and unnecessarily too right because one thing i'll say about the ending and why i called it silly earlier is the idea that when the ending is being revealed it clearly comes across as like oh wow look look how methodical this movie has been in setting this up from this the credit card because literally like the movie's setup is essentially the thief's setup like every beat mm-hmm. for moment is practically set up by him to play this game and whatnot and yet somehow the ending for me is still botched because by the time it comes uh, it's just listening to every character say their motivation and their part in this game and their realization and um, and, and then even uh, really quickly the, the scene in between the main character and the girl which is 
very much from like a noir movie of like the hard edge guy like going finally back to the femme fatale to question her about her motive, whatever. It's just like that was really awkward. I think that was the only time where the acting got to me as far as like normally I was like, oh, it's an indie movie. They're all just whatever. But that was like when he like pushes her up against the wall, but then he like doesn't and he's like, oh, I'm just so angry at you. <laughs> I'm just going to leave. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Damn. I mean, obviously when we mentioned it, they, you, you never saw any of these people again. Um, it's not like these are professionals and, and, and working people that improve their careers. But, um, yeah, I, I like the story. I did really did like the ending. I, I thought the ending, uh, actually worked pretty well, uh, especially for a, a really short film like this. And, uh, you know, give a film credit for, for doing something in a short amount of time. Like it put together this entire story, albeit part of it was probably, as you mentioned, Nick, not necessary. They probably could have lost 15 minutes of this 70 minute movie, mm. but uh, I still feel like this packed a lot of punch into this short story. And I was intrigued right off the bat. Like I, I was interested in this guy just walking around following people. In fact, I do wish that that became more of the just, story yeah. because I was interested in that and where this, pretty much as you mentioned for, forgot about that and then just became this story about him following around these people who are were, you know pretty much looking for somebody like yeah. him to, to prey on um the, yeah. I, I i am interested uh, very much so in the uh, dynamic between the three characters as they for the most part are all playing each other in in different ways and it's interesting how the one guy ends up making it out and he, you know, has like playing the strings the whole time, which almost made the story seem a little bit like a procedural episode of something like Criminal Minds, where it's like, yeah, like nobody is able to be Jigsaw and has right. this much of a foresight of how everything's going to work out. But he made it, Kaiser Soche look like an <laughs> idiot. Like, just as far as how much I mean, he would, yeah, like, no, like how much he would count on, like this has yeah, to go right, and that's one of my problems with the film. Yeah, not yeah. that, not taking the piss out of Kaiser Soze, but it's like it. I, I feel like well, Kaiser Soze is smart, but he's not clairvoyant. I exactly. I, I feel like um, well, and a lot of things that happen with him seem like they could happen in some way could just making that up on the fly where here it's just like, Oh, look at, I planned out this and then this and then mm. this. And it's like, sorry, Tucson, go ahead. No problem. Um, <laughs> is it really no problem? Just though? jumping into <laughs> my general feelings about the following. Yeah, sure. The following, um, <laughs> not the Kevin Bacon show. I keep on mixing those up because I, I search for it on Netflix and they're yeah. both next to each other. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, when you texted me and said, I've watched four episodes of his goddamn show. Why are we reviewing this? I knew we had a problem. That didn't happen. That never happened. Anyway, <laughs> I've been meaning to watch following for a while because I am an, an avid admirer of, of Christopher Nolan outside of even the, the bat trilogy. I, the, the prestige is one of my favorite films of all time. And even though I really enjoyed it in, from an initial impression for uh, for Interstellar, like in in hindsight, it doesn't really glow as as bright as it used to, but it's still it's it's a serviceable film, and I think Insomnia is a, a pretty dope film. And Memento used to be like my favorite film of all time, like that that used to be like my shit. Um, but I I really enjoyed watching this because I, I enjoyed it in the same way that I enjoyed watching Bottle Rocket from Wes Anderson or watching pie by uh darren aronofsky and that i got to see the the uh, primordial elements of a director's emerging style when it is not incentivized for them to be able to like they really have to 
they, they really have to go above and beyond themselves, like beyond their budget, beyond the constraints of like how they're actually filming the film mm-hmm. to create a, a visual language and an approach to film that is all their own. And I like seeing how those elements that I would come to know them by for their later films would be so prominent in their in their earliest work. And I feel like I see that in in following. I feel like I see the same uh, reliance on a neo-noir, um, almost cynical or solipsistic view of life and of people, but but not like going all the way, way headway into like nihilism or anything like that. I feel like I still see the... Do, 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 do. That was the Saw theme song. Oh, yeah. Oh. I, for a second there, I thought you were like doing Kokiri Forest from fucking Legend of Zelda. I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about anyway. All, all I was thinking about was Big Lebowski when you, when you said something after he said Nihilus. So. Oh, no. Anyway. Any, anyway um, no, it, they're cowards. And also the, the reliance on unreliable the reliance on unreliable narrators and how they, they perceive. Was um, he unreliable? I think he's not trustworthy. But I mean, he. I guess I was. I, I never once, especially once the film was over, thought that he would, like was lying or that what we were seeing was in any way. I think disputed. the way that the, the the film was initially framed through his actual first lines and his introduction is like this is an account of like the following or the the following. I mean, oh, I, I, I feel like that. I don't. I agree with Nick that I don't think he's an unreliable narrator, but I think we view the discussion he's having with the police officer differently at the end of the film. Than like how, how, does, how does this, like how does the conversation at the beginning dovetail into the conversation at the end? It's like when, when I first watched this, like who is he talking to? Is he talking to a police officer? Is like, what happened? It was just like, can I really take into account like what he has actually said? It's like, I was constantly questioning that throughout the course of the film, simply through the nature of like it being a noir, a neo-noir and it kind of like, this is another thing I, I liked about the film. Like I like the the introduction of the young man. I like Cobb. I like Blonde. Cobb, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cobb is like always harkening forward or harkening backwards to like his 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 body of work is is very self referential. At least in in the first film that he's done for. Hey, and hey, yeah, I saw the Batman symbol on the door too. That wasn't <laughs> deliberate. That wasn't him deliberately I, campaigning for I it. Know. It was just something that was incidental but it's, to it's, that. It's actual... a cool. It's, it's one of Can those. We get a Batman cool sticker thing. on this door, uh, Chris. We really are going to go over budget. No, I know, but I feel like if we put it up there, somebody will see that from <laughs> from WB. And it's a, let me tell you, it's a cool thing knowing that he ended up directing a Batman trilogy. Yeah, going it's back and see. Oh, obviously, he's always liked Batman, probably. Yeah. So, yeah. like Good. in Shaun of the Dead, when you see a little Ant Man walk around, I'm going to fucking kill you. But like I just going to throw you, yeah. your little yes. football shaped body off of a bridge. Yeah, and you'll hey, be gone. Arnold. <laughs> That's a football-shaped head. Yeah, I have a football-shaped body. Anyway, well, just because um, you're like a small in stature, Nick, I'm, complex- Nick, I'm, complex- I'm, I'm curious about um, the one. I'm curious about your your thoughts on the 30 minutes that you felt could be excised from this film. I want to know where you would actually place that, like from event to event. Like, I mean, I guess I don't necessarily literally mean excised, but. Uh, the the whole notion of him following people and going over the rules and whatnot, I can understand. That like, was the first rule I broke. Why the fuck did you break that rule? And I was like, yeah. I, I just asked myself that. I was like, who, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, um, like just that whole. Here, here, here's what I'll say in response to what you're saying, which yeah. is that this movie starts off uh, 
interesting because I'm very, for me at least, interested in this whole idea of following and what this could lead to a writer's mm-hmm. uh, inspiration and just like the CD way that it could get him into trouble. Um, but what that does, or what Nolan does, at least with the script, is he takes a subject, or I should say a premise I find interesting, and then he course corrects and erases the, irre- the relevancy of it in service of something that's just been done a million times. For, for the most part, it's a means to get into the actual story you want to tell. Right. Yeah. And Which is just a somewhat replaceable... Right. And especially because he was doing it in 1998, so he was already pretty much past the heyday of the Tarantino knockoffs of everybody trying to do this whole non-linear, I, right. uh, double-crossing, Reservoir Dogs type... Uh, uh, story. I know that I'm oscillating like from one end of the spectrum on like whether or not I like the, I, I really enjoyed this film. I want to want to put that that clearly. But when I'm looking back on it, um, it feels like for for a first time film, and I'm, and I'm giving it the credit of a first time film, and also yeah. the credit of the fact that this would go on to be a director for whom I who create work that I would greatly respect in in, in later years. Um, it feels like. The, the the premise and the themes of this film feel like a neo-noir twist on um, voyeurism as a topic that ultimately feels toothless and that doesn't really... Well, um, it's, what you're saying only really applies to the first 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I know. It's like, I'm just it, saying, it's, like, if that was... I mean, it's this, called following. It's right, called, that's it's the called, other thing. Is that the title? I mean, uh, that's why I feel like it just buries its lead because its lead is not interesting whatsoever. Um, I mean, he starts following people, and then he starts burglarizing people, and then he gets set up. Yeah. And I'll say this. You uh, cited uh, some great first-time debuts like uh, Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, Darren Aronofsky's uh, Pi, who's mm-hmm. a director I'm not all that fond of, really at all, but Pi is very... Pi is solid. Right. Um, and I'd even add one more to the hat, uh, just really quickly, which would be Paul Thomas Anderson's Hard Eight. Like, those are three movies that are clearly first-time directing debut of people who have something special, but with those three movies, I think, have that something like Following doesn't have, which is, I'm not trying to say is some kind of complete failure or whatever, is an, some kind of an original, like idea or reason to exist. Uh, I think Heart Eight is a much more by-the-book film than something like this. What is the okay, pull of I, I this film other no... than it being Christopher Nolan's first film? What Nothing. Is the pull? Yeah. Nothing. And this right. is a, a non-linear, black-and-white, right. cheaply-made film. Heart Eight is the reason why I cite Heart Eight, not simply because It's a I, really good movie. Right, but not simply because I love Paul Thomas Anderson, but because... If if you took that script and gave it to a lot of other directors like Christopher Nolan, they would have jumbled up the chronologic chronology. They would have because what I liked about Hard Eight is that it doesn't try to be something that it's not. So you either enjoy it as the character piece it is, or you just mm-hmm. don't. But it doesn't make those same mistakes that a lot of first time directors, which I think Christopher Nolan is uh, suffers from. Hard Eight also has a lot of Philip Baker Hall, which is good. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing that it's, it's hard to compare uh, this movie to a lot of other first time directors debut that we are, I would say, all familiar with, or just really like, like even like Wes Anderson's Bottle Rocket, which has. Uh, Luke and Owen Wilson, and even James Caan as the villain. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're you're already off to a good start there. We were speaking earlier, uh, Nick, you did about the uh, the nine liter aspect of this film, and I thought the editing part of it was was actually quite uh, either original or or just something that no one's ever done because they, they haven't thought of the way because it felt very authentic to me, and, and that is the the way that it was shot because. 
this honestly just felt like a string of deleted scenes that were put together. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it felt like that to me, too. <laughs> oh, you boy. Uh, you know, I will say, though, to in response to what you're saying, <laughs> is that, um, uh, what was I going to say? That that's another reason why I like I wasn't really whatever, mm. but the editing also felt like uh, Christopher Nolan grew up loving John Luc Godard from the French New Wave uh, because that's what he was famous for. Is yeah. this very uh, uh, kind of stream of consciousness? Not David Lynch surreal editing, but like just the way it flows is only uh, to I don't know serve a greater rhythm rather but, than but there was plot. like almost every single scene abruptly ended yeah. and then it just moved on to whatever <laughs> was, was next there was no That's there was because, no tra- transitions and yeah. maybe that was just simply right. because they cut them and they, they, <laughs> no, I'm just like, and they had yeah. to, you know. I mean, that's the thing is that these scenes would have not ended like that had they not told it. Well, and we, we we never see um, maybe one or two of the memento uh, changeovers. There but are we, a few fade outs. I will admit, yeah. Not, not that I'm remembering, but a we more. we never really see. Uh, Nolan employing anything like this again. No, and when he does, like in something like Memento, he does it to either comedic effect or a disorienting effect. Like, um, uh, like the the moment when he cuts in Memento to Leonard Shelby running and, and yeah. his in, uh, inner monologue. Why am I running? Yeah. Well, who am I? Oh, oh god, he's got a gun. I love that. No, he's like, I'm chasing him. Oh, oh, oh he's no, chasing he, me. I don't. I don't. Yes. I like the idea. And the was is that. Uh, different scene, or uh, after he's in the bathroom, where he's like, "I don't feel drunk." Yeah, that's the next scene. That's the next. He okay, wakes yeah, up, yeah. And, and then you realize why he's there. But next, yeah. scene, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, like there, he's using it to expert effect. Where, and that's only one film forward, so that's mm. pretty good as far as someone yeah. learning their craft. But here, it felt like if it did achieve some kind of uh, uh, interesting surreal experience of like editing and uh, rhythm, it's only because he made it accidentally <laughs> when he decided to do this whole non-linear thing. Yeah. Because he had nothing else to work and, with for bumpers. Uh, I, I have to say that uh, even though it, it ne- isn't necessarily great, I actually personally en- enjoyed the way that it presented its story throughout and then the weird uh, editing feel it had to it, even if it isn't something that he was necessarily going for, that he like really loved this uh, storytelling method. I thought that it worked here feeling uh, pretty original, uh, especially for a film like this. And uh, yeah, I I, I liked a lot of the little details that came through, even though some of it felt a little bit, a little bit less like, oh, look, I only have one earring. Oh, we found it in the next scene. It was here. Oh, he put it there, whatever. But that's a case of um... when when things came back later, uh, specifically her underwear and and the credit card thing, which I actually thought was pretty brilliant. Yeah. no, you don't I, think so? See, the, 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 the underwear one was the one where I was like, oh, fuck. You, I, you, you dead son. I, I love <laughs> twist endings. I love them when they're, they're telegraphed correctly. I, I love when there's a, a trajectory of, of buildup for that. And I feel like that's a case where the way that that last third of the film came together where you have Cobb in the room with the blonde. And he's, he's talking about and elaborating like the whole process of how he – he gamed the young man to pretty much emulate his style as a burglar, and then he goes into like killing her with a <laughs> ball peen hammer and the way that he approaches her. I thought that was the whole way that was staged was just so bad, in my opinion. And then how it was interspersed with the actual 
uh, testimony from the young man and the policeman. And then he's going through all these like little trinkets or whatever. He's like, oh, this is this is the part where the saw music comes in, right? This is the part where <laughs> I was just like, oh, everything culminates. And it's just a case where the I feel like the filmmakers um, – the, fi- the filmmakers assume that the the film is smarter than it is, and I don't feel like it really merits that that sort of um, that, that that I I don't I don't feel feel like it merits that benefit of the doubt. I think the the one scene that's missing from this movie is the scene in which they talk about, but you don't see where he does the. Uh, the burglary of uh, where he finds the woman but with a beaten. Yeah, you never see that. Right, right. You don't see that. But and I, and a, I would have um, loved to see that scene where he would have walked in there and like saw that scene and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then would have said out loud, well, shit, I need to find someone who's randomly following strangers so that way I can manipulate them into taking my oh, place. Oh, that's, that's way too on the nose, Nick. That's that's way I too know, on the nose. I know, that was a joke. I know. Because yeah. nobody, like, how is this, like, his plan? I do enjoy uh, the character of of Cobb when he's actually casing the joints and he's taking the young man with yeah. him. I, I especially love when he's just, like, breaking apart. It's like, who are the kinds of people that live here? And inadvertently, not inadvertently, but deliberately, um, the young man takes him to his own apartment. And so he can, like, armchair, like, psych- psychologist, like, like break down who this person actually is. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who who wants to be a writer, but he doesn't really write anything. And it's just like, oh, he's like, he's... He's, he's he's he doesn't have taste. He just like listens these these on his own. It's like this isn't something that you play for like a dinner party or anything like that. And I'm sorry because here's one thing theme. I will say. Like as someone who watches a lot of procedural TV, like Sherlock or you know, and like I already saw exactly where that scene was going. Yeah. Like even having put that aside of the unoriginality of like having seen that thing 20 million times over, uh, the way that guy was protesting and that guy in his own apartment, as far as like <laughs> no, I. I, I I'm sure he's actually like a winner in life. Like, <laughs> like, like if he didn't, even if he wasn't, a, like he a, works at a bank. No, he's unemployed. <laughs> yeah, like even if he wasn't a like a Sherlockian detective, so to speak, like he would have figured it out by the time he left that apartment. Yeah. That, that this he was probably his. did, and just added insult to injury. Yeah, sure. No, he knew it before I, he yeah, walked in. That was the say. whole point. He was like, it was embarrassing. He tried to actually pass that off as somebody else's apartment. And, uh, and, and <laughs> say your British accent. I get no. That's like his, like his. I don't know, posh, whatever. I, yeah. I guess whatever. Anyway, whatever but that was. what I'm saying was, it's not like we're supposed to watch that scene and believe that he figures it out when he's there. Like, the whole point of this movie is that he knows what this guy is going to do before the guy even does it. So, I'm just saying, like, it was just, there were a few lines that made me cringe while they were in that apartment, and he was like, oh, no, no, I'm sure he's, like, a, yeah, like, a banker. And it's like, really? Like, you... You're you're a writer. You should have more imagination than this. But I guess that is why he's a horrible failed writer. (laughs) Oh, Lord. It's pretty clear that he's actually not the the brightest apple on the tree. Um, There was actually one line of dialogue that I thought was absolutely fantastic. And that is uh, when uh, the unnamed character uh, shows up at at the woman's house and uh, she tells him to make himself feel right at home. And I just thought that was pretty actually fantastic. Uh, Though the way it is because he's the one who broke into her house and then he's there the next day. And then she tells him uh, to to make himself at home. And what's great about that is that is before we have found out that uh, she is in fact 
definitely in cahoots with Cobb. And then, uh, you know, it plays differently when you watch that and then you know afterwards that, oh, shit, actually, she's just totally just fucking with him this whole time. Maybe or maybe not. It's it's a, it's a very interesting little little story. And this is just, a, a I actually think, a pretty fun film to, to sit down and watch and, and appreciate, for me at least, the fact that this is just a, a bottom-of-the-barrel, thrown-together-on-weekends passion project for a young, aspiring filmmaker. That, that this is, like, making this film is where Christopher Nolan learned probably a lot of the things that he ends up, ended up using that has made him the kind of director he is now like it's it's easy to to forget about right now but like this is a guy who honestly even though he is doing a lot of things that are very much by the book and like other directors are doing this is a guy who's doing things at the same time that are way different from what a lot of people are doing now and i think that's a reason why he's so popular as he is the trajectory of talent and execution between following and memento the sheer difference of a budget and of a crew and of being able to pick out different locations seeing the the and it's based on jonathan nolan's short story exactly well i'm talking about the actual execution of the film itself like (laughs) is 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 pretty hand in hand yeah (laughs) it's pretty it, it, it's it's dumbfounding actually it's like it, it's like all you have to do is just like give this guy like enough room and enough money he can make a damn good film and then he goes from that to making a, a remake of a cult classic and then goes from that to making fucking batman i mean and and you know but like i was saying about about nolan just in general is that he's a guy who's who for the most part he's he's already set multiple trends if you want to talk about a guy who's who's created certain things i mean the the dark yeah, we ep- have him to blame well, for the DC cinematic we don't have this is him actually to, true we don't have him to blame we have Warner Brothers executives who misread well, what I, he actually I, did with that to blame that but he wrote a manifesto the, the, <laughs> the dark um, much thou shall be dark <laughs> the the attempt to have much more realism in superhero stories. I think is directly correlated to Christopher Nolan at this point, at least in the cinematic arena. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you look at other things like the, the attention to detail with films like interstellar, even if you don't necessarily love it. I mean, you, you talk about a film that involves, it has a way to try to somewhat realistically involve something that is, is almost speculative. Well, it's speculative, but it, it involves so many different aspects, uh, whether it be wormholes and even even in in a, in a different way, we have time travel in a in a realistic grasp of someone who's in a universe that moves at a different speed than a, than a different, and we see somebody age thirty years in, the, in an hour, and and just the the kind of stuff that he does is honestly. So I feel every time I record film take. What an oh. asshole! Fuck this guy. And even, you know what, and it, it's so simple, and, and you know, maybe the movie will end up being shit, I highly doubt it, but even the first small teaser trailer for Dunkirk, where you have the one, the Harry second, Styles. the one, and then the two, and then all of them at the same time, turning their heads almost like they're birds as a as a plane flies, like, that kind, of, that, that kind of stuff, like, it seems like it wouldn't be that, like, out of the box. But, like, when I saw that first trailer, that for the first, when I saw that trailer for the first time and, and saw that part of it, I was like, holy fuck, this movie is going to be great. Like, even, even, if, even if it ends up not being that good, I'm still going to end up loving it. I'm, I'm pretty impressed uh, 
looking back on the totality of his the, the totality of his career that he's gone from following where that's peanut peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch money to Dunkirk where he's pretty much manifested in, into the the role of do whatever the fuck you want money where you can, who would go see Dunkirk like like most people aren't going to even know who the, what the fuck Dunkirk is unless they see like Christopher Nolan's like name in front of it and they're automatically going to go see it yeah like um, batman other than uh I mean, Interstellar still made back its budget, but uh, other than that, when's the last time he made a film that was not massively successful? Insomnia. I mean, yeah, I the mean, Prestige. I don't think that was like, yeah, but it also didn't have it, it didn't have the kind of budget that his films no, have just, now. Yeah, I thought you meant like. But well, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying in in terms of. I, I can see why the studios have no hesitation of just handing him $200 million to make a war film. So, but yeah, really quickly, I guess getting to, you know, kind of ending thoughts on filing. Cause it is a very simple film, uh, even though it has it tries to have complex ideas, it does fumble at the goal line quite often on that. At the same time though, again, early, early director. Uh, and that's, that's something that I'm, always willing to give a little bit of a pass on, but yeah, th- this is to me just an entertaining little movie that, um, I will have no problem watching again sometime down the road. And I'm, I'm probably going to purchase the criterion version of it. Cause I- I'm actually interested to see, um, if there's any sort of special features on this or, or not. Talk- you can watch the chronological cut of this movie on uh, the criterion disc. That's, that's fine. <laughs> Shut up. No, you can. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I thought you were just. No, I, I thought you were taking theory. the piss out of like the no, whole like I memento. Know the memento, but no, it's a. Uh, it's not like the memento disc in the sense that it's not hidden. Like it's ah. just a special feature. But yeah, man, yeah, fuck that special edition for memento. I still can't watch my favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, that's why I upgraded it to Blu-ray. But yeah, that's how people feel about Star Wars now. So that's good. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, no, there are quite. I believe there's a commentary. I believe, but I know the thing that stuck out to me the most was the chronological cut. Anyway. Hmm. So, Nick, do you want to give final thoughts on a rating here? Yeah, why don't I? Okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay, what are we talking about? Following. (laughs) Fuck that. Yeah, it's a movie. I, (laughs) yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it. It's not like a, uh, I don't consider it some kind of massive failure but i don't think it really succeeds at what it's trying to do and therefore i'm just ultimately not a fan of it would uh, you call it memorable no okay but, yeah like it's uh i've seen other debuts that are at least like <laughs> i will at least i will say in, in probably a year i will forget what the twist ending of following is like that says probably as much as i need to about oh it God, but you've got enterograde amnesia <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um the only other thing i wanted to mention is that um, I think what works, even though I don't love all of Christopher Nolan's film, and including following, but others like the Batman trilogy and uh, a few other, not a few others, but uh, Inception and whatnot. Um, but I think what makes him work better nowadays than when he was first starting out uh, with a film like following is that I feel like when he made following, he made a movie where he uh, 
spared his influences on his sleeve. And by the time even Memento came around, which was 2000, so we are already in a new decade, and I truly think we were then in a new decade of filmmaking. But, and, and But we're, we're not actually not that far from when he made No, not made that following. far, but like he, he, he made following too late, so to speak. Uh, yeah. like the things were already changing. Now, by the time he makes Memento, I would say his influences... Uh, pretty much fell out of style in the mainstream. Like, Tarantino was, even though he was still regarded as, like, obviously one of the greatest directors of all time because of what he did with Reservoir Dogs and um, and Pulp Fiction, uh, like, Jackie Brown was certainly not a commercial success and whatnot. So, like, all of these pioneers of that 90s style and and kind of uh, the, the thing that I think Christopher Nolan is really into... Um, not to say that he's such a quintessential 90s filmmaker because he's not but that was the thing is he, he just started a little too uh, early almost like he was kind of someone before his time because uh, I would say by the time he started making movies in the 2000s that's when his aesthetic caught up with uh, the, the sensibilities but also mainstream went in a different way so when he was making movies like Memento or The Prestige nobody else was making movies like that but when you make a movie like Following all you're doing is making the 100th movie that everybody's already seen well and also too you, you talk about larger budgets getting caught with caught, yeah I mean, I mean I'm saying with, that with, they don't play a part well getting caught on with the right cinematographer I mean he you talk all you want about how much Transcendence was a piece of flaming garbage I will and you should, uh, but Wally Pfister has done a, a lot of terrific work with Christopher Nolan yeah. as, a, as a cinematographer over time, uh, and now he's pretty much been excommunicated from the Christopher <laughs> Nolan circle of trust. Uh, but um, get out of that circle. It's hard to get back in, That's right. especially after that pile of poop. Uh, but yeah. It, uh, there's actually another filmmaker, and I want—I did want to mention this that I've—I've I've over time thought that I definitely think that Nolan is influenced by, and and knowing some of the things I've heard him say before, even more so. But I—I I definitely feel it's a lot less noticeable than somebody like Tarantino. But uh, Michael Mann is someone that I think he clearly has taken influence of over time, even though it's not necessarily from story structure, but from the way he he tells narratives and and even. Really? Yeah, like um, music-wise, tone-wise, I've definitely picked that up over time. Interesting. I've never really thought of the two of them. Well, now you can start thinking about that. Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so uh, just to give a final rating, I'd probably... I think I'm going to lower it because... Oh, wow. I mean, it's a movie that the more I think about it, the more it just falls apart. So I'm going to give it a one and a half out of five stars. It's it's not some kind of huge failure but I cannot fathom a reason why I would want to watch it again like it's a movie I could watch again because it's 70 minutes and there's enough happening that I won't you know uh, want to kill myself but um, but it, it offers nothing to me and at the same time I don't necessarily think that this is a film at all that would benefit from seeing a second or third time like and that says a lot I saw it two times because but that says a lot because it's a film that's clearly trying to make you think you need to yeah. rewatch it because oh now you'll know why he had those pictures when he was outside her door no, you know no. Also, it's so weird when you watch that scene because, can I really quickly say also, that when she comes out of that door, and this was before I had obviously seen the whole movie, so I didn't know for 
for fact whether she knows who he is or not. But she gives him this look like she clearly knows who <laughs> he is. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, I don't know if this is bad acting or if this is bad telegraphing. But it's one of the two because then when the ending did come, all it did was confirm that all those shitty mistakes were, like, just really weird and clumsily added mm-hmm. thrown in there. Anyway, one and a half out of five stars for me. I, I don't... I don't think it truly does stand up as like a oh you should watch it because you need to see where Christopher Nolan started like that this does not have enough value in that department. Did you like this more or The Dark Knight Rises? I, I know I don't guess The I, Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Damn. Okay. okay. Because at least I, I I don't know I I don't even know why I would like The Dark Knight Rises more but you had uh, a bomb in it. I guess I would. If, I guess here's the thing: if I were to choose which one I would rewatch, it would probably be this because it's 69 minutes long and like it'd be over and, and whatever. Like I don't think I'll get anything more out you of the like Dark Knight. You sound like you're going for treatment from from uh, uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much. <laughs> Please make it stop. That, that would be a real Sophie's choice. Let me tell you. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I do feel because. They're actually, I, I have a Christopher Nolan rankings page on my letterbox, and um, this is not super high up, but I, I think it is above Interstellar and Dark Knight Rises and Insomnia, because I, I did, if I can go really quickly into my final thoughts, I did the quite... The fact that Insomnia is your last one is... I know. I haven't seen it in a long time, though, yeah. so that might be part of it. Um, but for the most part, all those films on there, like I give every single one of them a three and a half out of five or higher. Like I... I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan's entire collection. I've seen them all now, so I, I, can, I can easily say that um, Dark Knight Rises is, although it is a Batman film, a very plotting, by-the-book, superhero final film. And and that's, I feel like, the one kind of misstep in, in, in his career so far from following until uh, you know now where we're a year away from seeing Dunkirk. But... Um, this particular film following is is just uh, you know, clearly a first film, low budget, everything we've talked about. Um, but at the same time, I I found I I found that comforting because you see a film that doesn't look great. It is shot in four by three, which today watching on HD TV looks really fucking terrible. Um, but it's still kind of interesting because you don't hardly ever see that anymore, especially when watching a film presentation. Uh, You see a a story that clearly is clumsy, pretty not great acting, uh, sort of awful dialogue at points. At the same time, uh, I thought there was plenty of good in there in terms of the way that the story progressed, uh, the interesting little Easter eggs that were popped in and out, sometimes a little too over the top, but sometimes worked out really well. So overall, I just thought this was an enjoyable film by a director who I, for the most part, absolutely love. Um, so I gave it four out of five because I really did enjoy this film, uh, which was following. Moving on to Sun. I mean, I can't really disagree with a lot of Nick's um, assessments of the film. However, I was able to take at least some raw enjoyment out of it purely on the the premise of well I really do enjoy Christopher Nolan's later work and I'm the I'm sort of the person that I enjoy unpacking where a director or creator's influences are and where they first come about even if they're not even if they don't come about in 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 their first debut work as consummately as their later works I feel like there is still so much to learn about a director and 
even even as a filmmaker, just from seeing somebody's like most earnest, like earlier, es- earlier, especially titles. somebody like Nolan who has followed a very similar path throughout his entire catalog. I yeah. mean, obviously he's made different kinds of films, but for the most part, he's he's stuck with a lot of the same filmmaking techniques throughout. I, I, I think in, in that vein, I, I feel like his way he's told stories similarly throughout is somewhat something like what Martin Scorsese has done over time where he's made different kinds of films, but has followed a same kind of formula throughout and, and has kept it for the most part fresh. I was, I was thinking about early filmmakers and, and people who have done films that, that, that haven't followed a kind of their own formula and, and built their craft. And the name Nicholas winding Refn was popping oh, in yeah. my head that it feels like a guy who, has tried to sort of do different things throughout. And, and you talk about watching a film like Bronson, and then you compare that to the Neon Demon, and mm. it's like not even there's definitely a, there's a There's definitely a turn. Like yeah. he's, he's very much in a, in a phase of his... I call it a maturation. <laughs> well, he's very much in a phase of, of his... Of his evolution as a director, I'm talking about Refn right now, where he it's obviously colored by the success and the the production of a film like Drive. That those yeah. those aesthetics are now sort of like defi- defining that that later later third of his his career. But in regards to uh, following, I I think the reason why I appreciate following is that I appreciate uh, shit films or shit works <laughs> from. Like, I'm not talking about. I I don't think that the following is. A shit film. I, I don't. I really do enjoy this film, but I'm saying that com- comparatively to the rest of his work, it's a shit film. It's like it's it's it's, it's it's very it's very rough. It's very um, it's very rough around the edges. It's part it, of its charm, though. It's it, it, it's it's part of its I mean, charm. It's definitely, uh, I would say, over the years, developed quite a following. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that's great. You son of a bitch. Yeah. Good uh, what, what, what I what I think about the following Fucking is that nerve I for this guy. I, 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 ah! I enjoy it in the way that I enjoy first works in in that they're not perfect and that they sort of dispel the myth of genius that a, a director can can take upon themselves like later on in their work. Like you think that they just uh, – their talent immaculately sprung from the point of a film like Memento or a film like The Prestige or something like that. You could point to any one of their later films and be like, oh, that's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. That's pretty solid. But then you see something like this. It's like, oh – Everybody has to start somewhere, and I enjoy seeing that. I, I enjoy seeing where a director starts from. So I'm going to give this um, – oh, fuck it. You know, I'll, I'll give it a three. I, I, I enjoyed it. I think that it's a it's a valuable learning experience not only as a film goer but maybe even as a, as a filmmaker. And, uh, yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I'd be interested uh, in, a, in a film class uh, for a professor of some uh, way, shape, or form. Yeah. To not necessarily teach just Christopher Nolan, but to sit uh, their class down and watch uh, this film, and then in the next class watch Interstellar and see what their feelings are on on his progression as a filmmaker. Mm. I'd be interested just to know what Nolan thinks about following. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, like seriously, no, like, uh, one, yeah. one of my favorite uh, bonus features I've ever seen of anything was attached to. Uh, the Criterion disc uh, for Steven Soderbergh's King of the Hill, where he made a movie called The Underneath. And what's great about Criterion, as always, is that they included The Underneath, the entire film, as a bonus feature. Mm -hmm. It has no relation to King of the Hill, other than the fact that it was just a follow-up movie. But it was kind of this sly acknowledgement from from both creator, because directors have to approve their, uh, you know, the edition that 
the Criterion puts out, and the company that this movie probably doesn't really deserve to be hoisted up on a pedestal, but as a work of exploration and and to see where a director's you know uh, missteps can come from or whatever. Uh, and it's great because there's a 20 minute introduction where uh, Steven Soderbergh just shits all over. It. Like he basically says, "Do not watch it," but maybe watch it only to learn from the context of where it was and mm-hmm. uh, and where it stands in his career. Yeah. Now that. Having said that, that's a movie I enjoyed. I didn't love it, but I gave it a positive rating, and that just speaks to as much as how much I just didn't. Yeah. What? See, here's the thing, though. Okay. Soderbergh is hits your sweet spot like Nolan hits mine. Where I'm not saying he, he doesn't. He, well, uh, we, but what I'm saying right. is that he, even in his works that aren't his best, you still take something out, like I did with Following. I think he's more talented. Yes. We can agree to disagree. Okay, but what, that's, what that's all a, I was trying to make entirely different conversation. Yeah, right. and all I, the point I was only trying to make is that I'm not against the idea of having to give credit because if I saw someone else make it, maybe I don't know. Maybe I would have thought it was such shit. Why am I wasting my time to watch? But as someone who has enjoyed Christopher Nolan's other films, I wasn't going into this completely against it and wanting it to suck and whatnot. Like there, there I guess I just like if that is the only redeeming factor that I get out of a movie that like oh this is where he began then I can consider it a failure so to speak yeah I mean it has to offer me more than just that I have to admit if if uh, this was just a movie that happened to be on Netflix from some unnamed director I would a never have watched it and B if I had by some reason watched it I probably would have turned it off after about 10, 10 minutes okay. so that's that's all I mean well and and I, I agree but yeah. but just like with any piece of artwork, people are probably only going to pay attention to something if there's a name attached to it. Oh, so. yeah, that uh, dis- yeah. disagree with that necessarily. <laughs> so um, I'm just saying that like there, you can make a you can be I think, uh, and I'm trying to think of another example, but like I don't know, like I think Terrence Malick's debut, who's a director I don't explicitly love. I certainly enjoy him, but I wouldn't say he's like a Soderbergh for me or a. Uh, uh, whatever. Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. Yeah. Uh, but even his debut, compared to something like Christopher Nolan's debut, uh, is a movie in which I don't love, and yet I still enjoy because I think it's made well enough. Yeah, but Malick, is, is, throughout time, is a much more methodical filmmaker than Nolan has seemingly ever been. And I'm not saying that that's not necessarily not true. I just I, I just feel like this... I, I, if, if there wasn't, I would say non-linear storytelling maybe I would barely be able to tell that this was a Nolan movie I don't think that I would be able to feel like hmm. this this is Christopher Nolan this is where he got his start because even with the Batman symbol <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, but like all of the all of those other debuts that we mentioned uh, like pretty Bottle Rocket yeah. and those movies are not any of those directors Hard A are not any of those directors best movies they're not even close but you watch them in conjunction with their other movies, and you're like, holy shit, he was already, I would say, doing some of the things we love from this director. And I don't know, I just, following does not hit that mark for me. So, I don't Very know why good. I'm still talking. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you've talked more about this film than I would have expected you would have, so. It's just, you know, I, I'm, so, I'm so smart, and I just, I, I got to get it out Fuck of out here. Fuck out of here. Anyway. What a cocksucker. Yeah. So, anyways. Whoa, homophobic language here. Well, anyway, continue. <laughs> I like how that's your response. Well, <laughs> so moving on. Uh, next week we are going to talk about a, a new horror film, which uh, honestly wasn't really on my radar, but has uh, slowly crept up as both ratings have come out, and, and the fact that I think 
Uh, this is a movie that we've all, over time, kind of gotten interested in seeing. Uh, and that is the new horror film called Don't Breathe, uh, which is directed by, how do you pronounce his name? Is it know. is it Fed, Fed Alvarez? Sure. Fed Alvarez? He did the... Fed Alvarez. I don't fucking know what his name I don't, is. I'm not making fun of you. I just think he didn't a, give birth to him. It's a fucking funny Did he? Anyways, uh, this guy did the that, that Evil Dead film a few yeah, years ago. Yeah. With the Evil Dead remake, and uh, he, he made this film, uh, which is about a, a group of friends breaking into a house of a of a wealthy blind man, and uh, they think they're going to perform a heist, and then all of a sudden it turns into a horror movie where he's got them captured in his oh, house. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. A couple, a couple of kids break into a, a wealthy blind man's house, and he stands his ground. Was that like is, that would that would make that would make better sense if he uh, didn't have his legs. He does have his legs, right? I'm making but, fun. Of, I'm making fun of the stand your ground law. Oh, but but he's but he's blind. He 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 has his legs. He stands. Wait, why is he wealthy? <laughs> why are we saying he's wealthy? Because they said they had. Let's talk about it on the fucking episode. <laughs> That's what IMDb I mean, says. it's not like they're breaking into Richie Rich's house. I'm just... <laughs> Can you imagine? Him? It was Richie Richie. This is basically like a Soderbergh Ocean's Heist where they're robbing a blind person. Played by Macaulay Culkin, too. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Anyways, uh, one of the reasons I'm way into this is because Stephen Lang is in this, and I don't know why, but I always have a few. I always just um, have a boner. Have a boner for Stephen Lang. Uh, (laughs) I think he's a good character. Good looking guy, yeah. Yeah, you fucking asshole. So, anyways. uh, Compliment the guy? Sure. God. This fucking guy. So we'll be talking about that on our next episode. <laughs> From Nick Cheney to Sant Egan and myself, Alex Diegman, thank you very much, as always, for listening to this episode of Film Tank, and we will catch up with you next time. Uh-huh.